Support for this podcast comes from Frito-Lay in the 2023 Snack Bracket Championship. The Frito-Lay Snacket Challenge is underway, and fans are voting on their favorite snacks to crown champion. We're talking about primetime matchups between the best 64 snacks in the land. Will Ruffles Ridges reign supreme? Can Doritos defend their dynasty? Or will Smart Food use their smarts for a surprise upset? Only you can decide. Get in on all the action for a chance to win up to $1,000 or a year's worth of snacks. Let your snacks be heard. Just go to Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com to vote and enter for a chance to win. No purchase necessary. Sweepstakes ends April 3rd, 2023. Void but prohibited. Years worth of snacks awarded in the form of 52 coupons, each good for one bag of chips. See official rules at Frito-LaySnackIt.SBNation.com. All right, welcome into another edition of Take It to the Bank. I got my boy Vasily Larico's with me, and we are about to preview the Ravens' fourth preseason game with the Miami Dolphins. And how you doing today, man? I'm doing well. I'm doing well. It's right around the corner now. It's uh, fantasy football season, draft season's in full effect. Yeah, I had my draft last night with like the local Baltimore Baltimore Riders, and and I had a great draft. Uh, I drafted my boy Michael Gallup. You know, everyone said it was too early. It was the ninth round. The kid's going to be a stud. The Ravens are going to regret not drafting him. It, it just is what it is. You know, I mean, Michael Gallup, ninth round, take him. A little free advice for everybody: don't hesitate to reach on the rookies in the late rounds. You're going to win a lot of leagues this year. Great advice. I I can't agree more. We, we're going to do an uh, episode in a couple of weeks, I believe, probably like the first week of the season, just about our predictions for the season. We're going to give our Super Bowl predictions. We're going to give our Rookie of the Year, defensive, Offensive and Defensive Rookie of the Year, MVP, Comeback Player of the Year, etc. We're going to do an entire like award show, pretty much. We got that coming up in a couple of weeks, so I def- definitely want you guys to tune into that. Make sure you guys follow us on SoundCloud, iTunes. We're about to be on Spotify soon as well, where our producer, Kevin Harris, has helped me work on that. Shout out to Kevin also. He's been doing a great job. I forgot to thank him for last week's episode so we'll give him his proper credit there but we're going to start off with just this the, the the ultimate question that i have to ask because really i didn't think it was a question that should have been asked until now is so ronnie stanley probably is not going to play this week james hurst is probably not going to play this week either and, and that begs the question should joe flacco take any snaps in this fourth preseason game i'm really torn on this one on one hand you don't want to expose your your starting quarterback to needless hits in a meaningless game. But on the other hand, he could definitely use some more work with all those new receiving targets and uh, not to mention practice executing a game plan when under uh, a fierce pass rush. I mean, that would be beneficial. Flacco has had a lot of trouble, as all but a handful of quarterbacks have, to be fair, but he has had a lot of trouble without ample time in the pocket And we know that a situation will present itself at some point in the regular regular season. So I think this is an opportunity to work on it. So you look at the Dolphins defense, and I think the Dolphins are actually getting criminally underrated in terms of just just by the national media and, and even, I guess, the local media for them as well. A lot of people aren't expecting the Dolphins to really finish that well this year. But I kind of like this Dolphins defense of Cameron Rake, Robert Quinn. I, I don't want to put Flacco against this this pass rush if I don't have if if I don't have to and I don't think it's worth it at this point in time because what what is he really going to show at this point I mean he's had a solid preseason thus far it just isn't worth it if you're not going to have Ronnie Stanley because who are you going to put at left tackle because now James Hurst is gone that would be the other guys so you put Greg Sinat in there Greg Sinat had a solid preseason game but still got burned a couple of times and then you're putting Sinat there then who who's the right guard Jermaine Illuminor. I think he's shown after the Hall of Fame game that he's not the player that any of us thought he was going to be. So I just don't think it's worth it at this point to have, what, two starters? Because Yonda's not playing either. So you're going to have two starters on the offensive line? No. Don't, don't, why, why would you put that? That's just stupid to me to put Flacco in that danger. Well, I think in the, you know there's a chance he's going to be facing a similar situation the regular season. So if it was up to me, I would, uh, I would proceed with the, with the normal – the normal a lot of time, whether it be a quarter or a half or whatever Harbaugh was planning to give him in this game. And then at, as soon as you see him, if he does start taking a beating, you can pull him immediately, maybe even mid-series if you have to. 
But I, I do think there is some benefit to practicing in that situation. And uh, iron sharpens iron, and, and uh, he's going to have to do it at some point. So practice always helps. You think there's a benefit to, to him playing with two offensive linemen, two starting offensive linemen? I don't think so. With, sure. with Matt Skura and Alex Lewis, you, you think there's – I mean, obviously injuries could happen. There could be a scenario where it is just those two guys and a couple of backups. But to me – don't put him out there, especially with his injuries that he's had recently. You know, I mean, this is the first year that he's healthy. You know, like coming into a season, I, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't mess with fire. He's at this point, he's proven to me that he's, he's proven everything he's needed to prove, to prove, and it's just, there's, there's just no reason for it at, at, at this point for me. Well, that's a fair point, I suppose. I mean, if if you have Marty devise a game plan where they're getting the ball out quick. You know, short little routes, maybe put him back in the gun and, and find a way to, to minimize that. And then, but but I hear you. I could go either way. It is a tough decision. So I want, I want to break down this kind of matchup and, and kind of what exactly you're really going to be looking for. Because there's so much, and I think we've we've kind of said it before in our, our pre-production meeting, is there's just a lot that, like, it's kind of redundant at this point is what we're looking for. I mean, what's going to happen with the returners, you know, and, and Grant, is Grant going to emerge? Is Tim White going to emerge? Is, is are they are neither of them going to emerge? And is Chris Moore going to kind of fall his way into getting the job? I mean, it's such an interesting position, the returner spot. But what are you going to do there? Uh, we're going to see. I think White and Grant, if they are going to make this team, they have to give coaches the confidence in their ball security first and foremost. Uh, breaking off a long return would be a bonus. Will Sneed get a look back there? There's been some rumblings uh, that he may get a look as a punt returner. Unfortunately, uh, Sneed has a grand total of one punt return combined as a collegian and as a pro. And that punt return was last year for the Saints, and he also fumbled the ball. Um, so I'm not sure if, if he is the uh, the answer there either. And then Chris Moore is another option. And I did a little bit of research. I don't think – so he's been – this is his third season with the Ravens. I don't think they would have signed guys like Bobby Rainey and Griff Whalen and Devin Hester over the last few years if they felt comfortable with more returning kicks. And at that time, uh, they had Webb and Campanero on the roster as well, and they still brought in a kick returner. So they obviously value that position. They think that's a legitimate job to have uh, – the Ravens have cycled through a lot of guys, Kalen Clay, Jeremy Ross, since Jacoby left. And uh, so I do think it's a, it's a position that they're going to fill, whether it be in-house or possibly looking outside the organization. Uh, one guy to keep an eye on is Jalen Richard from Oakland. He's ran back 65 punts over the last two years, and it looks like uh, John Gruden is souring on him. So he might be a guy you can pick up if none of the in-house options emerge. That's an interesting point. The Ravens have certainly gone the free agency to, to grab a returner. I mean, remember Devin Hester a couple of years ago, but the, the thing with that is I think the Ravens want one of these younger guys like Tim White or Janarian Grant to win the job. And I think that's going to be proven because they've given them time, time after time and opportunity after opportunity to prove themselves. They just haven't at this point. And I think that the fans have soured on them much more than John Harbaugh did. Cause after the game, John Harbaugh and his press conference still back the rookie said, listen, they're young guys. They're going to make mistakes. It's just the preseason. That's what this is for. They got to, they still got to work, but they're going to make mistakes and that's all right. And I agree with that. Like, listen, they're going to make mistakes obviously because both of them are young guys and kind of inexperienced. And I, and the thing is though, is at what point do you cut the cord and just say these aren't the guys? Because I'm ready to cut the cord on Tim White. I don't know what he really has done to get all this fan praise, especially from you. I know you've soured on it a little bit, but I mean, if I recall correctly, he only played like six snaps on offense. So I think the Ravens quietly are turning on him and going towards, I would say Grant has the lead now, but again, I'm, I'm a fan of of keeping a fourth tight end or keeping another linebacker or keeping another sec, uh, defensive back or someone like that, or maybe even another offensive lineman as opposed to a seventh receiver. So for me, unless one of those guys can emerge as, as a candidate to be make an impact on the offensive end, it's just not worth it to keep a seventh receiver just to be a returner. I think they're probably going to rotate between between the two, White and Grant, and uh, and give them equal opportunity. And I, and I understand what Harbaugh is saying there. Sometimes, let's, let's face it, sometimes fumbles are unavoidable. In White's case, 
He has two guys. One guy's holding him up. The other guy's ripping the ball out. You know, there's not a whole lot you can do there. Same thing on Grant. He, you know, he had the ball punched out from behind. It's not what you want to see, but but it happens sometimes. So I don't think they're they're totally out of the picture, but they definitely need to step up here in the last two games, or I think their days are numbered. Well, I think he was trying to do too much. As for Grant, I think Grant was trying to. I mean, he made a great a great couple of jukes. You know, he made a couple of guys miss, and it was pretty impressive. Like, I, like I, I was. I jumped out of my seat like, whoa, like, this guy's got some moves. I mean, I knew it, but it was impressive to see it. But then all of a sudden, it just it just went bad. And, and I think that that's more of like a mechanical, I guess, like fundamental issue because he left the ball hanging out. And that's what really pissed me off is because he made so much great moves. And then it was kind of just lazy where he just left the ball out for the defender and said, here, make a play, you know? And it was just like, I, I would think that a guy as, as accomplished of a returner as he was in college would have better mechanics and better fundamentals than that to leave the ball hanging out for a defender just to poke it loose. Because, I mean, he, I don't think that he would have been gone by any stretch, but I think he, I mean, he would have gained a couple extra yards if, if he didn't, if he didn't fumble the ball, you know? Yeah. Uh, so, do, so you're saying if they, if neither of White or Grant win a job, who, who's, who's your punt returner at that point? I would roll with Chris Moore. I don't. I don't know why they're so down on Chris Moore as a returner. I mean, I know. I mean, he's flashed as a kick returner. I think he can. He can be a solid job as a punt returner as well. I. I would keep Moore because I mean, this is just me, and this is like where I'm at with it. Is I'm disappointed that they aren't giving Perryman more opportunities. Maybe this week will be different. Maybe this week they'll give Perryman more reps. But the fact that he didn't take his first snap last week until like the five minute mark in the third quarter is an absolute joke. I mean, Brashad Perryman has the most receiving yards out of any of those bubble boys in the wide receiver room I think he is the I have to double check it, but I'm pretty sure he's the most receiving yards out of any receiver in the preseason for the Ravens I mean this guy is, is seemingly getting better I mean every practice I've been to he's gotten better he's looked better and I mean he didn't have a he didn't have a drop in the preseason since the first one on the first snap in the Hall of Fame game I mean at this point why are why are you not giving him more steps I understand you know what he is but I would if it were me right now, I would keep the top four wide receivers, obviously, the three free agent guys, Chris Moore, Perryman, and then I'd stash one of the rookies then keep the other rookie. If it were me, I'd stash Leslie and put La- and, and put Scott as the sixth receiver, but I don't know if that's the direction they're heading towards. I have more confidence in Perryman than I do either Leslie or Scott. I think uh, if I was uh, the general manager, I'd probably keep Perryman and then one of the returners is my sixth wide receiver. And then I'd be done with the receivers at that point and maybe put one of the rookies on the practice squad and the other one on injury reserve if you can. Because, you know, th- that's really what we're going to be looking for out of uh, out of Leslie and Scott in this game. Can they perform the most crucial function of the position? Catch the ball. They have both Im- had immense struggles catching the ball really throughout training camp and the preseason and uh if they can't catch the ball i don't think they deserve a roster spot yeah but i'm not sure if you put either of them on the practice squad they're not getting scooped up like i'm not i'm not sure that that's not going to happen like i like i think lasley for sure would get scooped up scott would be interesting because i think scott teams could look at him and say well he's got the nice skill set maybe we can develop him you know because here's the thing and this is kind of breaking news and i don't i don't want to sound like this but i'm going to say it is some teams have really good wide receiver coaches. Some teams have wide receiver coaches and offensive coordinators that believe that they can turn guys around. Like, I think if they cut Perryman, I think Perryman wouldn't have any trouble finding a job because I think someone's going to scoop him up thinking he's a physical freak. He's got potential and he's got talent. We just got to work on his fundamentals. And some teams might want to scoop him up and take on that project, especially at the end of the preseason. I mean, guys with Perryman's talent usually aren't available and teams could could find a way to keep him and or pick him up and... and develop him and that's the biggest issue with the Ravens is they haven't developed Perryman and and I give some of the blame to Bobby Ingram for what he has or hasn't done with some of these wide receivers I I don't think that he gets nearly the accountability or held accountable to the level that he should Uh, offensive coordinator Marty Morningwick definitely deserves some some credit or some blame for that I just I just don't know what they do with these wide receivers and but it's not it hasn't even just been a hardball era thing it's been a it's been like this for years, and pretty much since the beginning of their franchise, is they can't develop wide receivers. I mean, fair point, fair point for sure. I still think Perryman is more talented than either of the rookies, so I do agree that that he probably would get picked up. I'm not so sure if Lasley or Scott would generate that interest. If you look around the league, there's a lot of teams with five, six, even seven 
receivers that are that are showing flashes of brilliance in the preseason. Even just looking in, in within the division, you have Callaway, uh, Auden Tate, and James Washington, all three rookies, really doing good things for their teams. Um, so I don't know if those guys would last or not on the practice squad, but uh, but it may be worth a try. That's an interesting point. I, I I have to I'd have to look at more rosters around the NFL to see how many teams really need wide receivers at this point. But I I would be surprised if not, if if they put Leslie or Scott on the on the practice squad and they didn't get scooped up. I it just would shock me to say the least. But I want to move on. The offensive line competition at center it's seemingly. Right now, it's, everyone's saying it's a four-man race. I don't think it's a four-man race. I think it's a two-man race. It's Skurra or Lewis. And, and I think Skurra, as we mentioned in the last show, too much, too too uh, vulnerable against the bull rush. Got to gotta put him somewhere else and got to give Alex Lewis more reps. That's what I want to see. I want to see Alex Lewis take more reps at center during during an in-game action. I would as well, but I, I'm, I, I doubt we're going to see that. It seems like they have kind of settled in on Skirt, and, and with the, the two injuries now, I can't imagine they're going to be doing a whole lot of cross-training in the game. What I'm really looking for in this, uh, in this tilt against Miami, in Miami on Saturday night is the backup interior offensive lineman who is going to, to show a little bit better pass blocking ability and, and claim those final spots. I think Greg Sanat, he's going to get the start for Stanley. I'd be shocked if we saw Stanley even practicing before maybe the middle of the lead up to week one that week. Uh, so I think Sanat is going to make this team. And then you go with the five starters plus Hurst, uh, who's kind of the swing backup in my mind. That's seven spots. So then you have Siragusa, Illuminor, and Bozeman. And they're fighting for one or maybe two roster spots, most likely. All three of those guys, uh, Nico, Jermaine, and Bradley, have had some troubles, especially pass blocking. Um, so this is going to be a, a chance for one of them to uh, to to earn their their job, earn their stripes. Yeah, um, uh, that's the wrong team, right? That's the Browns. Um, <laughs> what do you think? Bengals. Of- Bengals. <laughs> no, Browns. You got to earn their stripes, man. Haven't you watched Hard Knocks? They got to. Take off. They, they took off the stripes on their helmets. Got to earn them. Oh, okay. I, I I was saying the Bengals have uh, stripes on their uniform. Oh yeah, but the the Browns have the stripe on the helmet. You got to earn them. They took them off. I actually. Side note. I actually like those the their helmets without the stripe. Uh, their uniforms are hideous with the brown printed out on the leg. But uh, that's a conversation for a oh, different on, different don't, episode. Come on, don't 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 hate on the Browns and their uniforms. No, but here's my question. Nico Saragusa is so interesting because he's a guy that we were both very high on coming into this this season. We thought that he, I thought that he could have a chance to compete at the center competition. Uh, they kind of limit him because of that that trifecta knee injury where. I, not many people really come back from it, and he's seemingly come back pretty good. But he's kind of struggled at times with the bull rush a little bit. Struggled to because at times the Ravens will pull him, you know, because the Ravens' running system, running game, as we talk about, it's, it's complex, it's diverse. They use a lot of different schemes, and they, so they pull Nico a lot, and he struggled with that in my, in my view, based on my film pieces. I just think he's not he's not doing nearly as much in the running game as he could, and I, I just don't know if he's ready at this point to to compete for a starting job. But what do you do with him? Is that, is that a guy that you can put on the practice squad and you think that he could stay there? I mean, is he even practice squad eligible? I mean, I, I just don't know. And, like, did you just cut him? Like, what do you do with Nico Sergers? Well, he's definitely practice squad eligible because he hasn't played a game at all yet. I uh, I mean, here's the issue with all three of those guys. They're all a little bit unathletic and heavy-footed. And in pass protection, they, they're getting exposed. I think Siragusa, considering the injury and, and, and the struggles that he's had – to stay healthy, and this is really his first experience. I actually think he's played better than Illuminor and Bozeman, and in my pecking order, he would be the first choice to make the team. Uh, but now, you know, comparing this to receivers, where we're talking about stashing guys on a practice squad, offensive line is a little bit more tricky because there's a lot of teams that need quality linemen in the league. Um, so I think you have to be a little bit careful there. I wouldn't be shocked if they kept nine. But I doubt they're going to be able to keep all ten. Would you consider a trade? Because, and I know that sounds crazy to some people, where they're like, "Why would they? Like, who would ever trade for them?" But the Ravens traded last year for two guys that were going to be cut. Remember Tony Bergstrom? Remember Luke Bowanka? Sure. 
I mean, sure. con- conditional picks. I mean, the Ravens could certainly do that where they can trade those guys for conditional picks and just see what happens, how they do in other rosters. Because we saw that the, the and not, not many people talk about this. I haven't really heard a lot of people really talking about this, but that, that switch from the from the 90 to 75 to 53 cut down just to 90 to 53 really has had a bigger effect than most people are giving it credit for because what it's doing is it's kind of pushing up the trade market because teams are like, okay, I want to get something for these guys. And it's you have so many guys losing jobs on one day that teams are just beginning to start trading guys or towards that deadline just because they don't want to lose them for nothing. Sure. That's a good point. That's uh it is. It's kind of it's kind of wild to have that many players hit the market on the same you know the same day where they used to stagger it back then. Uh, what was that? Two years ago or three years ago they changed that. But how would you how would you stack the three interior backups, Logan? With who? Illuminor, Saragusa, and Bozeman. And Bozeman. I think I'd I'd put Bozeman at number one because I think he's shown me more and he showed me his versatility. Then I'd put Saragusa and then I'd put Illuminor. Illuminor was so good in that first preseason game in the Hall of Fame game, and I've talked about so much, but he just hasn't been able to replicate that. I think Bozeman, honestly, is surprising surprising me with how strong he's played. Like I thought that he was going to come on and be solid, but he's been really good, man. I think that, that Bozeman... I mean, you need it. I think if you keep him as a backup, he's an interesting backup and he's a valuable backup because he can play seemingly three positions on the offensive line. You can put him in any guard spot and you can put him at center. And I think that's when you, when you, when you get a backup offensive lineman that can do that, I think you got to hold on to him because you need more versatility because you don't know what's going to happen in the year with injuries. I mean, look at last year. Stanley went down. What did the Ravens do? They put Hurst at left tackle. I mean... I don't want to jinx it or anything, but if Stanley goes down again this year, what do you do? I mean, you you have. I mean, do you put Hurst back at left tackle? Do you take Brown Jr. and put him at left tackle, and then you kind of put Hurst at right tackle? I mean, there's so many different kind of ways to 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 tackle it. I guess you could say. I mean, obviously you hope that no one gets injured, but history tells tells you that someone's going to get hurt. I mean, it's rare for a team to have all five of their starting offensive linemen stay healthy for the entire year. I mean, the last one that I remember, the last notable one I can remember were the Falcons when the year they went to the Super Bowl. But other than that, I mean, I just don't know if you if it'd be worth it to keep a guy that, that that's limited in their position versatility. Yeah, I think that makes a lot of sense. And the fact that Bozeman is a center by trade, considering that, that Skur is your starter, a presumed starter there, Makes sense. Uh, on a side note, Pro Football Focus uh, included Bozeman as uh, I think they're t- in their top ten rookies. What they how they've graded so far this preseason, along with along with Brown, I should mention, which uh, which maybe was a little bit surprising based on the eye test, but that's a good that's a good thing regardless. So uh, yeah, I think Bozeman. I'd like to see him make the roster. Um, quarterback my big question is are they going to give rg3 an opportunity to play against legitimate nfl caliber competition not like four stringers like he's been seeing the last few weeks uh if he does and if he plays well uh we'll see if if he's going to make the roster at a minimum i think he'd have some trade value if he does play well against first and second stringers uh what do you think the percentage is that rg3 is going to make this team I've been in the camp, and I wrote an article just before the preseason, I believe, that no matter what RG3 does during the preseason, he's not making the roster. I still stand by that statement. I don't know how you can keep him, and I think that John Harbaugh is fluffing up the media and fluffing up fans and and seemingly tricking everybody by saying, oh, it's going to come down to the wire. Uh, It's going to be tough. It's a tough decision. I don't know how it's a tough decision. I don't know how it's going to come down to the wire because there's no reason to keep a third quarterback. I don't know why teams do it because you're just keeping an extra inactive. Like It just makes no sense. When, When what if injuries come and you have more than seven injuries, or you have seven or more injuries, and then you're sitting there thinking, okay, so now i got to have this third quarterback be active just because he's on my 53-man roster and I don't have an extra spot to make him a healthy scratch. And what, he's, what is he going to do? He's going to sit on the sidelines with his little headphone piece in and hold a clipboard. That's just not worth it to me when you can have a guy an extra tight end, an extra linebacker, an extra defensive back, whoever you want, and have them actually contribute maybe on special teams at the very least. It just makes no sense to me. Listen, RG3, I would play him as much as you can against better competition just to prove and improve his trade value. But I don't know what his trade value is going to be because you look around the league and I'm not sure how many teams really are going to need a backup quarterback. I mean, the teams that come to mind for me right off the bat, Dallas' backups have struggled in the preseason. The Rams' backups struggled in the preseason thus far. Those are two teams that just off the top of my head that I can think maybe could, could trade for a backup. But 
listen, I like RG3. I love his story. I think that it's incredible that he's on the comeback. I think he's looked pretty good. But the reality is, is how much stock are teams going to be putting into a preseason game when this guy hasn't played a meaningful game in a, in a long time and he hasn't looked good in, the, in, a, in a, a meaningful game in a long time? You know, like how much stock are they going to put into that, especially considering the competition that he's played against? Yeah, the thing with RG3 to me is, I guess the idea, the thought is that if uh, if a Flacco goes down to injury, uh, maybe a short-term injury at some point early in the season, and Lamar Jackson's not quite up to speed, then Lamar Jack, then excuse me, Robert Griffin can bridge bridge that gap and maybe keep you competitive in a couple games. But I think if you do keep him, he's going to need repetitions in practice, and there's only so many reps to go around. And it, you know, he's only RG three has only played in five regular season games since 2014. So it's not like he's, you know, plug and play, ready to roll, some 10-year veteran with five years in the system or something. Uh, he, and then he's take, then he's essentially taking away repetitions from Lamar Jackson, and Jackson needs as much repetition as he can get so he can get up to speed and, and he can be that player that they traded, uh, you know, significant draft capital for. I think preseason is just overreaction season where everyone's like Lamar Jackson takes a snap, throws an inaccurate pass, and it's just like oh my oh, oh my lord, like he's not ready. He he was a, he was a bust. I've seen articles on other websites about talking about Lamar Jackson's a bust and he's not ready. Listen, I think that. That, that Lamar Jackson's not ready till he is. And what I mean by that, because that obviously doesn't make sense if I just say it alone, but what I mean by that is I don't know if he's ever going to look 100% ready. I don't know how many rookie quarterbacks always look 100% ready right off the bat. I think you just throw them in there and you let them learn. Let, let, trial by fire, you know what I mean? I mean, Deshaun Watson did not look far, did not look ready yet all when, when, the, when the Texans put him in, and he had a pretty good stretch, no? I think that when you look at Carson Wentz, did he look electric during the preseason when when they did when they went for him no he really didn't need an up and down preseason but they went with him anyway and he produced pretty good results for them during his rookie year I know it wasn't that successful and then his second year he obviously took off and was an MVP candidate and then you I mean you can go to other guys I mean there's countless examples of different rookie quarterbacks who struggle during the preseason whatever and then they've they figured it out during the regular season I think that's just how it is I think it's just how it's going to be so I think Lamar Jackson's ready I I, I mean I think he's ready for what he's going to be, and it's just at, it's just at a point where you have to figure out that you have to feel confident in the guy because you took him with the 32nd overall pick. You invested a lot of draft capital in him, and really, if Flacco goes down, he gives you a better chance to win than RG3, number one. Number two, it's going to be a lot on scheme and coaching and game planning. It can Marty Morningweg, James Urban, Greg Roman, etc., scheme up a game plan to make him successful that is what it's going to be for him especially in the beginning is can they put him in the right position to be successful and that's what they're going to have to do instead of this idea of oh does he look dynamic does he look ready i i'm not putting stock into it he's learning the game and he's i don't think and i just don't think that rookies ever look a hundred percent ready in the preseason i mean dak prescott he had a really good preseason right and then romo got hurt but he still looked far from ready. He still looked far from perfect. I know, I mean, if you remember, Cowboy fans were, were and coaches were, were still, for the first couple of weeks of the year, they were still saying, we, we can't wait for Romo to come back. Romo's going to be the starter. And then Dak just played his way into the starting position. But again, like, the idea that, that Lamar Jackson or any rookie quarterback, for that matter, is going to come out and look like a, a seasoned veteran and be perfect in the preseason is just not realistic. I think people's standards of what Lamar Jackson should or is going to look like in the preseason is getting highly blown away where you're setting this guy up for failure where he can't do anything and he's never going to uh, meet your expectations because it doesn't matter because unless unless he throws five touchdowns and rushes for four more like he did in college, like that that he's not doing good. Listen, college stats are blown out of proportion. He's playing crappy teams. His stats are going to look much better than they are in the NFL. Well said, especially uh, Deshaun Watson's a prime example. And let's not forget, Joe Flacco wasn't exactly lighting it up the preseason of his rookie year. We all know he was forced into action, and he was able to take the team on a on a deep playoff run as a in a, a game manager type. Uh, so the last position on offense that we're going to be watching here, I, at least my last position, is tight end. Um, and then it really is Max Williams going to be able to make some plays in the passing game and open some eyes. Uh, he is a solid blocker. We, we highlighted that after the last game. But is he going to be able to make enough plays in the passing game where he forces the Ravens' hand and they, they continue to give him another opportunity? Or p- 
possibly does Vince mail the uh, the special teams guy, special teams ace, or maybe even Darren Waller, a player with a lot of untapped potential still. Do either of those guys emerge and really flash enough where the Ravens do want to keep four tight ends? Right before I answer that question, I just want to say this. Last year, Deshaun Watson played in three preseason games. He did not throw a single touchdown pass. He threw either one interception, and his completion percentage was 51.8. Is that dynamic? I mean, he had two rushing touchdowns, but is that dynamic? No, it's not. So, And then he ended up throwing 19, interse- 19 touchdowns to eight interceptions the regular season. So that's just like the further my point about Lamar Jackson. But as to your question for the tight ends, before I because I went a little wild there, um, I think that the fourth tight end spot given Jimmy Smith's suspension now is pretty much a lock. It's pretty much a certainty, and I think it's going to be Max Williams. Um, Darren Waller, I think you can find a, a spot for him in the practice squad because I'm not so sure other teams are going to covet him like like seemingly the Ravens do. Um, so I would believe that, that Waller finds his way on the practice squad because he still is eligible for the practice squad, and then you're going to have Max Williams and obviously the, t- the two rookies and Nick Boyle. And I just want to say this because um, I, I feel like I have to. It's my job here. Um, Nick Boyle gets criminal underrated like no I don't think anyone understands what this guy really does you know if you go back and watch his game tape from 2017 then you watch like what he did so far in the preseason he is so valuable in that running game he's so valuable just just in in terms of being a, a good fundamental blocker that he is such he's just so such a star you know he's like a star he's an underrated star that no one talks about I I love him because I think that he's so underrated with what he does you know I agree he's definitely underrated and uh just to mention the Ravens ran more two tight end sets than any team in the league last year and I definitely expect that trend to continue with Boyle and Hayden Hurst as the as the starters so the the interesting thing about that is that I've noticed more in the last couple of preseason games, especially when the starters play a little bit more, there was less tight end, two tight end sets. There was there was more kind of the eleven personnel where you have one wide, one running back, one tight end, three wide receivers. Because now they have Sneed, Brown, and Crabtree. That could change a little bit philosophically in terms of what they do run less two tight end sets. I mean, it, it probably won't change by that much, but you expect to see a little bit more three wide receiver sets with those three with the three headed monster. I could name them. For, for Brown, Crabtree, and Snead. But here's my question to you, and this is kind of off the wall, and I want to ask you, and this, this, this should be on our prediction show, but I got into an argument with someone about this, and I, I want to know if, you, if you're on my side or not. Who is going to lead the Ravens in receptions this year? Oh, that's a tough, that's a tough call. I think Crabtree is going to lead the team in touchdowns. I think John Brown, if he stays healthy, is going to lead the team in yards. Uh, I've been thinking Snead all along. But uh, I'm not quite positive now. I'm not quite sure what he's – he's only had one pass so far from Flacco. And uh, it wouldn't be shocking if Hayden Hurst leads the team in receptions. Um, yeah, no, that's, that, that's dead wrong. Uh, so here's the thing. Willie Sneed – well, actually, you're, you're two for three. Willie Sneed is um, – it hasn't gotten a lot of opportunities in the preseason, but you got to remember they're not playing all the, too many series. Like like that starting group isn't playing too many series, so I don't think he's been able to prove himself. I think Snead, well in a way, is going to lead this team in receptions. I think Hayden Hurst is going to be a close second, but I think Snead is going to lead the team in receptions. I agree with Brown leading the team in yards, and I agree with Crabtree leading the team in touchdowns. I just wanted to ask you that because we got into, I've gotten a lot of arguments with a bunch of people about that. Um, but yeah, Snead leading the team in receptions. Let's switch sides of the ball. Let's go to defense. And the biggest, the one guy that I key on, key in on every single game when I watch the game live. You know, I watch the game a couple times, like especially when I'm doing the film pieces. But when I watch the game live, I like to key in on Kamalai Correa and Bronson Kafusi. I like to see where the Ravens are putting them. And Kamalai Correa has been getting more reps at inside linebacker than he did in the in the first game, in the first preseason game, the Hall of Fame game. And then Kafusi, they're kind of throwing him around, throwing him in different spots. I mean, you have seen line line up at the three tech, five tech, and even at the edge. And these are two guys that are going to have to show up in these last two preseason games if they want any shot to make the roster. If they want any shot. And and, and Correa has to prove that he can be somewhat effective at inside linebacker or, or you get rid of him or he's gone. And and same thing with Cavusi. Cavusi's got to prove to me that he can be valuable on the line and not so much as an edge rusher because they don't need another edge rusher. And I feel like I have this conversation every single week, but it's it's baffling that some people are, are out there thinking that 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 if they have production from the edge, the Ravens are going to keep them. The Ravens don't care about that production because, as you saw, they had four of their five edge rushers get sacks last week. They are content with their depth there. 
They don't need a sixth edge rusher. They don't need that. I think Kafusi's really – I think he's a goner no matter what happens. Even if an injury would arise, they still have – exceptional depth to pick that up he just doesn't have any he just doesn't have the upside he's he's entering his late 20s he was uh drafted as an at an advanced age and he doesn't he hasn't done enough to really do anything correa i think it's shaping up for a battle correa versus mcclellan for that final linebacker uh job and correa's definitely had a better preseason overall but I do want to note that McClellan did look a little bit better against Indy than he did in the first two games. Um, it's essentially a special teams job, and coordinator Rossberg might might surprise us and show his loyalty to McClellan, even though uh, KC has more versatility and potential on defense. And I guess there's a slight, uh, maybe a 10% chance that both of these linebackers are released and the Ravens you know, lean on Anthony Levine to be that backup, that deep depth linebacker, special teams guy. Maybe you, and then you, they keep all five safeties, which I expect either way. But that may open up an additional spot to maybe keep that tenth offensive lineman, maybe. Um, and then on the interior, the big the big battle I think is can Carl Davis hold off uh, Sealer, the rookie, has seemingly done enough to grab that deep defensive line spot. Um, maybe can Carl Davis do enough to uh, to interest a team in a trade? So I want to first talk about the your inside linebacker com, uh, competition. Um, you know what they both are, right? Correa and, and McClellan. What's that? They're they're masters of none, Jack. And <laughs> That's what both of them are because both of them can play outside and inside linebacker, but not very well. They both proven that they're not starting caliber players. But I, I agree with you. I, I think that. If Jimmy Smith wouldn't have got suspended, I think that that 10% chance you're talking about that they both get cut would have been much higher. But I think given the fact that Jimmy Smith isn't going to be on the 53-man or count towards the 53-man roster for the first four weeks, I think that significantly dropped that num- that percentage. To, to I don't think that there's any shot that, either, that both of them get cut. But I, I think that's an interesting question, though, to think about is – would the Ravens kind of turn their back on a guy that they have seemingly always been loyal to, which is Albert McClellan, who is their special teams leader over Kamalai Correa, who really doesn't provide too much on the defensive side of the ball like McClellan, but I don't think he's nearly the special teams player. So I would give the edge slightly to McClellan at this point. And, and Correa is just going to have to prove that he's too valuable, which he really hasn't done at this point to, to cut. And I just don't know what's going to happen. And I think, and here's the thing I want to say about Correa, kind of a side note is I think he's going to be very successful somewhere else. And I and it sucks for me to say that because you know the Ravens are pretty good at developing linebackers. They're pretty good at kind of finding diamonds in the rough and things like that. And they usually don't miss a lot on linebackers. But this is going to go down as a disaster. And I think it's going to get amplified at how much of a disaster this really was once he once he goes somewhere else and has a decent year. That's just my prediction for Correa. Uh, as for your comments about the defensive line, Carl Davis, Zach Siler. See, I think they're going to be able to keep both. I think there's a way that they're going to be able to keep both. And I think Carl Davis is going to stay on the team. Trade-wise, I see earlier in the preseason, I thought that there was a chance that, that they could find trade value for him, but I just don't think it's going to happen. I, he really just hasn't shown much or enough to be traded, but I think the Ravens still like him and they still find some value in him, so I think they're going to end up keeping him. Um, but I, I, I would think that the, the competition really is more for me between Siler and Kafusi because I think that, that, that they're going to be able to keep most of their defensive linemen. Hmm. I think Siler, Sealer, uh, he would get scooped up in a minute if uh, if he got put on the practice squad. Uh, but I agree with you on Correa. He's going to be a much better fit in a 43 front. 34 just never never suited his skill set. Well, that's that's the whole thing is like, and I don't want to get down this rabbit hole, but what the hell were the Ravens thinking? I mean, they they okay that draft in general. You could talk about like mistake after mistake with with trading back and things like that. I mean, we we can talk about that all day, but I'm not. I don't want to play Monday morning GM just yet. I want to play. What are they thinking? Because they drafted a four three DN with somewhat enticing athleticism and thinking that he could be an inside linebacker which is which is fine like I, I like the creativity like find your guy think he can he could do that I'm, I have no problem with that but after like year one or even year two like, like, like you still figure out that this guy's not valuable does not have the instincts to play at the inside linebacker position like what are you thinking and then but by, by keeping him 
here and, and letting him do it again. Like, it's just insanity, like, thinking that he's going to somehow flash as an inside linebacker. He's not. He never has. And he, I, I haven't heard him in a press conference say this, but John Harbaugh kind of alluded toward, towards it uh, earlier in the uh, during OTAs that Correa will tell you that his natural position is outside linebacker. And I think Correa, like, if you talk to him off the record, he would say, I don't know why they put me an inside linebacker. I don't know what I'm doing there, and I don't know how to play it. That's pure speculation on my part, but it just seems like he has no idea what he's doing. And I, and I don't know if I blame him too much because, listen, he's a talented edge rusher. Why did you draft him if you wanted him to be an inside linebacker? Because there were other inside linebackers in that draft who you could have taken. You had plenty of opportunity to take, but you chose not to. Do I have to say his name? Do I have to tell you the guy that you passed on that's a pretty good inside linebacker? Go ahead. Oh, I have to say his name? Do I have to say the guy that they, that they passed on just to... I mean, I mean, he's a guy. I mean, I get it. He had injury questions, but do, do I really have to go through the pain and the misery of the Ravens of doing this? Because listen, Miles Jack was there. Miles Jack was considered a first rounder, and he and he fell to the second round. Yeah, yeah, he missed an opportunity there for sure. Wow, I forgot. I forgot Jack fell. All the-, the Ravens traded that pick to Jacksonville so Jacksonville could take him. It was it was the fifth pick in the second round. The Ravens traded that pick to him with Jacksonville so they can go get Miles Jack. Listen, I understand that Miles Jack had, had a lot of concerns because of his knee, and and but he's looking pretty good right now in Jacksonville. He's looking he's looking good enough that that knee doesn't look like too much of an issue. <laughs> Undoubtedly, yeah. So I, I guess we'll go through the scenario now. So they had the fifth. They traded back. They then they traded back again with the Dolphins. They passed up on Noah Spence, so a lot of people were high on and Xavier Howard, and then they go and they take Kamalai Correa. Bruh. Are you? Shitting me? Seriously? Yeah, he. I thought he had a third or fourth round grade by most uh, most analyst expectations. I'm uh, quietly, and this is another topic for another podcast as well. But uh, I'm a little bit concerned about Eric the what this draft department and the scouting department is going to be able to do with under uh, under Eric DeCosta's guidance next year. Because if you think about it, Ozzie Newsom, he hit so many. All pros and pro bowlers and legendary players when Phil Savage was his number two. And if you look and see when Phil Savage left for the Browns and when DaCosta came in, that tracks pretty well with the Ravens' uh, downturn and finding a lot of studs. DaCosta seemingly loves to find those small school gems. And uh, sometimes it seems like he kind of outsmarts himself a little bit. Well, I think that. And you always talk about this, and I, I want to bring it to the take it to the bank sphere. Is you have a great take about the Ravens draft, and I didn't mean to get on this tangent, but you got me fired up about it. Is you can you just kind of talk about your theory that we've talked about before about how you think that like the analytics and stuff have caught up to the Ravens and they no longer have a step ahead? Well, the Ravens had an advantage seemingly for a lot of years, and let's be honest, they also got lucky at certain points having a a Ray Lewis or an Ed Reed fall to them late in the first round. I don't know if they were ever vastly superior, but but if they were, you know, it's not that Ozzy's necessarily gotten worse at evaluation, but other other teams have gotten better and those and those marquee steals don't seem to slide to them as frequently as they did, you know, ten years ago. Yeah, I mean, you see a lot of guys now from smaller schools get more recognition because of all these web. I mean, I think that the internet obviously has done a lot. I mean, you look at so there's so many guys, especially just in last year's draft, that you can look at that were probably would have went under the radar in years past, but because of the technology and the and, and the internet, I should say, they, these guys don't go under the radar. I mean, look at Nathan Shepard. Look at Nathan Shepard from last year's draft. He goes in like the third round for the Jets. I mean, that's a guy who went to a really small school, and now he gets more recognition. Um, what about – who was the guy the Niners drafted? Oh, fuck. What was his name? Uh, Tavarius Moore. Tavarius Moore is another example. San Francisco. I mean, that guy blew up in the combine. But the other thing I want to mention, and this is a little bit off topic too. I know I'm getting a little wild here. But can, can, can we officially cement ourselves as trust the tape teams? I, I trust the tape guys. Because remember Obi Melifonwu? Remember him last year? Of course. Remember how everyone was, was was freaking out and saying that he's going to be the next superstar safety? Remember because because he jumped really high at the combine, he ran really fast, and he looked really athletic? Guess yeah. where he is right now? He's on free agency looking for another job. Yeah. That's a, that's a second-round pick that's blown out the window by Oakland because they, they decided to take a, take a risk on a combine superstar. So for those of you guys who are still against Orlando Brown Jr., and I don't think there's many out there, trust the tape, people. Trust the tape. <laughs> 
Yeah, I was never high on Melifanu when uh, I was uh, what was he employed for about twelve or thirteen months? Not not great. <laughs> not 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 great by any stretch. I mean, it's it's kind of like me, you know. Trust the tape on me, you know. Don't don't look at my track record. Just trust my tape. Trust trust my tape, you know. Don't don't look at my my, my physical measurables. Look, trust trust my tape. But um, no, I I want to. The last topic I want to talk about, and this is kind of an overarching question, and I think that it's it, it's one that I think has to be asked. And I know we we talk about this so much, and it's so it's such low hanging fruit, but I hate to talk about it, but I. I feel like I need to because I, I need to unleash about it. And I didn't prepare you on this for this exact reason. What record does John Harbaugh need to have in order for the Ravens not to fire him? Because it's, it's a question that, that has risen up, and I don't understand a lot of people's answers. What do you think? It's hard to say. It's hard to say. I mean, Steve Bashotti at his State of the Ravens uh, end of season press conference said he thought about, about firing Harbaugh. I'm not sure how much truth is in that statement. Um, I mean, I think there's a lot of scenarios. The Ravens seem to like to uh, to use the injury excuse when they need to to justify their continuity approach. Um, I think he probably needs to win maybe seven games, I would say, to keep his job. But that comes with the caveat of him turning the reins over to Lamar Jackson if the Ravens are out of contention and showing that him and his coaching staff have a vision, have a have a, a blueprint on how to make that transition work uh, with Harbaugh. So I would say seven just because, and I mean, I, I can't read Steve Bashotti's mind, but but he does seem like uh, to really to really appreciate what Harbaugh has done for, for the team. That's my nightmare. What what you you just said was my nightmare. Thank you. I'm gonna have nightmares tonight. I'm not gonna sleep tonight because you just said that. See, that's my that's the the fear because that's what I've been seeing along with people and and that that's such a terrible scenario. Like if the Ravens win seven or eight games, miss the playoffs, and the Harbaugh stays here, I think it would be a huge mistake. Number one, number two. I just don't understand why he would be given an extra year. I mean, that would be four years now. I'm not making the playoffs. Four out of your six, and then you have a. And and I think that's why taking Lamar Jackson was so puzzling. And we talked about it on our draft show is that usually if you're if you're coached on the hot seat, you don't take a guy like Lamar Jackson who's who's going to be the future of your franchise. You want your new head coach to kind of build everything around them. I mean, the Ravens obviously aren't going to have a new GM. They're not going to clean house in terms of the, clean the front of the house, I guess you should say. But if they're going to get a new coach next year, he not, now you're forcing the guy to like Lamar Jackson. I mean, there's a lot to like with Lamar Jackson, but you're forcing him to have to build in his future. And that could, let's be honest, I mean, I'm, I'm just going to be brutally honest with you, that could kind of push some coaches away because – you're coming into an interview. You're evaluating their their team's state, the t- the state of the team, because they're putting their their job and their future and the kind of everything that they have on the line for Lamar Jackson. I mean, look at listen. This is pure speculation, but Josh Josh Daniels, he went to, he was going to go to Indianapolis, and you think he didn't look at that team and say, "I'm not putting my future on this. I'm not putting my only." probably maybe my last head coaching opportunity in the fate of Andrew Luck and, and these guys who, who really don't look too good and don't put value on offensive linemen. I mean, do you think that that's, that didn't run through his mind when he backed out of that job? You don't think that that, that happens? So like, I don't know. I, I think that, I think that John Harbaugh to me, it's playoffs or bust, baby. You don't make the playoffs. And unless there's extenuating circumstance where you win like nine or 10 games, you don't get in other than that playoffs or bust, baby. I, Definitely get behind that personally in a lot of ways. It's a results-oriented business, and uh, responsibility flows up the uh, the organizational chart. And and you're right, the Lamar Jackson pick was a little bit of a head scratcher from the uh, Harbaugh job security angle. Most times, you like to ha- let your new head coach hand pick their quarterback, you know, and, and that's almost what almost all of the of the the new first-time head coaches have been able to do the last few years. Um, I don't know. I, I don't think the three-year playoff drought is all on Harbaugh. Actually, I would put more of the blame on the front office and especially their their salary cap management that really prevents them from truly upgrading the, the roster in the offseason. And instead, they just they, they cycle out some pieces and add new ones. Um, and I don't think Harbaugh has necessarily had a, 
a playoff uh, caliber personnel to work with. And I think he's in a lot of ways maybe coaxed an extra win or two out of the Ravens per year. But at some point, change for the sake of ch- – even just for the sake of change is beneficial. So, uh, yeah, we'll see how it goes. We'll see how it goes. Oh, you mean that restructuring and backloading contracts isn't isn't the future? No, that's not that's not that's not innovative. That, that that's not good. When guys like second second and and last and second to last years of their contracts, their cap hits are like double what the other three or four years were. You don't. That's not good cap management. That that's not making it right. If you don't know what I'm talking about, just look up some of the Ravens contracts and and you'll understand who I'm talking about and what I'm saying. But um, yeah. So that's gonna be it for our preview show. Next week, uh, just a couple news, news and notes real quick. The Browns won a thriller last night in the preseason, five to nothing. What a game. That, what a preseason game that was. That's a game I love to watch over and over again. Um, but a couple of takeaways from that for Cleveland. Their fourth round or their fourth overall pick, Denzel Ward, did suffer an injury. They haven't revealed as of this moment what exactly is wrong with it. They know it's a back injury. In the the Severity of the injury is still to be determined at this point, but Tyrod Taylor also suffered a hand injury, but the report, the x-rays came back negative according to Pro Football Talk, and he is expected to be to be good to go. So that was a scary moment for Cleveland, but Cleveland was able to survive that as they win 5 to nothing in a very dominant game. And you noted this, and the last thing I'm going I'm to throw to you is that defense looked pretty scary, and Miles Garrett looked pretty good. Indeed he did. He, uh, he had his way with... Uh... With Big V, the uh, the Eagles left tackle, and uh, that defense that did look pretty good. I was impressed. Even Agba coming off the edge on the other side. Jamie Collins had a pick. Uh, they're coming together. I'm still not totally sold on their secondary, especially if the injury to Ward lingers. But uh, yeah, hey, they're they're a talented team. They got they have good personnel in a lot of in a lot of uh, at a lot of positions. That's gonna do it for us. We're gonna come back with our uh, recap show. Probably, that's probably going to come out Sunday night, Monday morning. Be on the lookout for that. Film piece is coming out every single week, twice a week, coming out. I got a a doozy coming for it. Next week's going to be a a triple one. I got an Eric Weddle coming out. Eric Weddle film piece of his entire, every snap he's played last year will be on film. We will talk about Eric Weddle. We will bring that to the podcast because I got my, you know I have my thoughts on Eric Weddle and my issues with him. We'll get into that. We'll talk about the Ravens preseason. Hopefully victory over the Miami Dolphins. Maybe they can go to 12-0 in the last 12 preseason games. We'll see about that. But uh, you hear the music. With that, we're out. Hello, I'm Ashley Carmen. I'm Caitlin Tiffany. We're the hosts of Why'd You Push That Button, the Verge's show about all the choices technology forces us to make. We're back for season three, talking about questions like, why do you delete your tweets? And why do you type in lowercase letters that make you seem like a serial killer? <laughs> and why are you on an exclusive dating app? You're not that special. <laughs> We're releasing a new episode every Wednesday, and you can find us anywhere you typically find podcasts, which is Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Pocket Casts. So go ahead and subscribe and check us out. Today's episode is brought to you by Cars.com. With over 2 million vehicles and 50,000 more added every day, Cars.com will match you with the perfect car for you, your budget, your life, your style. And if you're ready to say goodbye to your current car, Cars.com will get you an instant offer to cash it in. Just start by entering your license plate and get matched with a local dealer who will write you the check. So whether you're looking to buy or sell, just go to Cars.com. It's magical.